Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Ross. We uh, are so glad that you're here. If you're our guest this morning, there's a little connection card in front of you. You can also get that connection card on our app, our CC app. If you just go to your app store and look up Centennial Church, you'll find our church app there. And you can put prayer requests through that app. You can find the sermons. You can find our bulletin, everything that's going on. Uh, you won't find the words to the songs, though. Because they're not even on the app, and nor this morning were they on the projector, but give yourselves a hand. Way to go. I was kind of worried about that, but uh, here we were singing, and who needs screens and projectors when you've got a, a, an electronic hymnal right in front of you, right? I mean, just like the first century, just like Jesus, you know? You guys did awesome, and I could hear you singing. It was wonderful. Um, we are going to jump in to our passage this morning, the last message of this series, okay? So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21, but as we do that, I'm going to go ahead and call on our elder chairman, Scott Holtz, to um, pray for our time in God's Word and also pray for this process um, with our new elder candidates. Um, so Scott, would you open us? God, I am uh, so thankful for this church body, um, for all that it has meant to me and to my family and to my spiritual growth. And um, God, I'm so thankful for the way that uh, we have seen you moving, your spirit moving among us in these last weeks. Um, yeah, just the way that people have stepped up, whether it's helping our sister Deanna move or cutting down tree limbs or showing up on Wednesday night for prayer meeting or sending in an email saying, hey, I want to teach in the children's area. Just so many people just faithfully responding, God. And um, I, just, I just am so appreciative of the way that you build and design and orchestrate things in your church. And I thank you for these men that uh, you've called uh, to service as elders. I thank you for their willingness uh, to carry that burden. I pray that uh, we would be unified as a body in supporting them and one another. Uh, I pray that each of us, regardless of what our role, our part that we play as members of the body, that we would do it uh, without grumbling or complaining, that we would do it without any selfish ambition or conceit, that we would in humility consider others better than ourselves that we would be completely submitted to you and your will for us, God. And I pray this morning as Ross brings a, a message from your word that he would be anointed and full of your spirit and that we would be changed because of the words that he speaks to us. We love you, we love your son, and we offer ourselves to him. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. And I'm going to grab that mic, Scott, because Dan will need it later. And as I'm walking by here, I'm going to give Doug Gwines a big hug. Everybody give Doug a hand. Uh, not only do we have uh, elders around here, but we have deacons, and, and Deacon Doug is our kind of deacon of grounds and facilities around here, and he, as well as 25, 30, he says, so like half of our congregation here this morning, um, we're out here yesterday morning and trimming trees and hauling off stuff to the dump and... Uh, I don't know what else, drinking coffee, apple fritters, what was that? 
12 runs to the dump. So thank you. If you were a part of that, thank you again for your help yesterday. And I have a beautiful picture of that group. If you can just imagine what that group looked like yesterday. Thank you so much, all of you. Some weren't included in that photo. So um, anyway, thank you, Doug, for your organization. Thank you to all of you for serving, okay? So with that said, let me uh, again bring our attention to John chapter 21. This is uh, the last chapter of John's gospel. And uh, so our last message in this summer series that we've been calling Encountering Jesus, okay? Uh, Encountering Jesus. But, and it's always like as a preacher, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird feeling when you finish a series, like it's the last message and you're kind of like, no, oh, come. It's, it's, it's kind of like uh, having a helium balloon and like letting go of it, losing it. And it's like going up in the air and like, no, come back, come back. Uh, I'm not done with you. Um, but it's appropriate to end this series with this message because, like I said a couple weeks ago, um, John chapter 21 and this message that we're looking at today is not just part of a sermon series. It's really the backbone and the foundation of following Jesus, okay? And the title of today's sermon, and if you go on our CC app, there's a place for sermon notes there, but the title of today's sermon is Grace. Grace. And John's gospel begins with grace in chapter 1, and in chapter 21, it is all about grace. Okay? Now, the word grace doesn't show up anywhere in chapter 21, okay? But the story that we're going to read about is all about God's grace. And what is God's grace? God's grace is his unmerited favor towards sinners. Unmerited. Like, we don't deserve it. It is unmerited. He gives it to us in spite of our behavior, in spite of our faith or faithlessness. And God's grace, we typically kind of stop it right there when we uh, kind of define it in church oftentimes, but God's grace is not only God's unmerited favor, it's also his unlimited power. And we're going to see that, that grace is not just this status that we have, but grace is this power that works within us, okay? I was struck this week as I was thinking about this message and looking through the scriptures. I came to this passage, Hebrews chapter 13. You might want to jot this down, look at it elsewhere, or look at it later. Um, But the writer of Hebrews says, it is good that we would be strengthened by grace, Strengthened by grace. So if you look through the New Testament and you look at all the places where grace is talked about, you'll find not only does grace save us, okay, Ephesians 2, 8, but grace also sanctifies us. These are S words if you're catching on, okay? Grace saves us. Grace sanctifies us. That's Titus 2, 11. And grace also strengthens us. That's Hebrews 13, 9. Okay, so grace is not just this status that we're given. It's not, grace is not just this position we have in Christ, but it's also God's constant and continual power for believers as we follow him. Okay, and we see that illustrated this morning in John chapter 21. Okay, so uh, turn in your Bibles with me. This will not be on the screen. Um, Turn with me. We're going to focus primarily this morning on verses 15 through 25, the end of the book, okay, 15 through 25. But it occurs to me 
as I uh, was studying this, that if you really want to do justice to this, which I do, um, you really need to look not only at those last verses, but you need to look at verses 1 through 14 as well, okay? And so I'm going to give you some homework that I don't have time to delve into this morning, but here's a fascinating Bible study for you, okay? I encourage you to do this later today, tonight, sometime this week. But I want you to compare John chapter 21, this final fishing expedition of Jesus with his disciples, with one of the first fishing expeditions of Jesus with his disciples. That happens in Luke chapter 5, okay? So there's your Bible study homework for this week, okay? Compare Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, with John chapter 21, these two fishing expeditions. And here's just a couple of things I'll point out. Luke 5, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, my heading in my ESV Bible says the first calling of the disciples. And then John chapter 21, this last fishing expedition of Jesus as he's resurrected with his disciples. Okay, so compare and contrast those two passages. Let me just mention uh, two other things specifically about Luke chapter 5, all right? In Luke chapter 5, the disciples have been fishing all night long, and how many fish do they catch? None. None. Luke chapter 5. John chapter 21. It's daybreak, and Peter and his buddies have been fishing all night, and how many fish have they caught? None. And in both cases, Jesus, the great fishing coach, says, throw your net in over here. And they do, and just oodles and oodles of fish. How were they able to catch so many fish? By God's grace. By God's unlimited power, okay? So no fish, lots of fish. No fish, lots of fish. Another interesting thing to uh, contrast here is that in Luke chapter 5, they get this amazing amount of fish, and Peter's response, some of you will remember this, this as all these fish began to like sink the boat, Peter's response at the beginning of Jesus' ministry is, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Peter sees his utter unworthiness and Jesus' power and his grace, and he says, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. I am not worthy. And three years of ministry and a death and a resurrection and some appearances after his resurrection, Jesus now stands on the shore of Tiberias. And Peter, struck with this huge catch of fish, what does he do? He doesn't say, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now, is he still a sinful man? You better believe it. In fact, he knows his sin now, three years later, even greater than he did back in Luke chapter 5. Because what is, he, what is he reeling from? What has he just done that he really wishes he wouldn't have done? He's denied Jesus. So here's Peter, lots of fish, Jesus standing on the side of the sea. But in this instant, Peter doesn't say, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. You know what he does? He loses all sense of, di sense of dignity and he jumps off the boat, swims, John 21 says, 100 yards to get to Jesus. Now, here's a guy that's been with Jesus for three years, knows he's a sinful man, but in John chapter 21, not only does he have guilt, but he also has an incredible understanding of the grace of Jesus. They wouldn't stay in the boat and hide, 
but they'd run out and say, Jesus, the gracious Savior. And he comes to them on the seaside there, and they have the first breakfast, okay? If Peter's denial was predicted at the Last Supper, right, this is what we could call the first breakfast. And so Peter's there, and they have breakfast. Another thing, I'm sorry, I'm getting all excited about this, and I'm preaching a whole other sermon. We'll get out of here by noon, okay, I promise. Um, did I say noon? I meant one. Uh, we will have bread in a moment. Not only is there this Luke 5 comparison, not only is there this Last Supper and this first breakfast, but there's also John's careful to write about that as Peter swims to shore, Jesus has prepared there a charcoal fire, it says. Those are the words. If you look, I think it's in verse 9, verse 8 or 9. If you've read through John, or if you're Peter, charcoal fire should remind you of something. What's it supposed to remind you of? A charcoal fire back in John chapter 18. And what was Peter doing at that charcoal fire? Warming himself and getting ready to deny any knowledge he has of Jesus to a little servant girl. He's going to sell out Jesus just as Jesus told him he would. And God gives him grace. God gives him grace. So let's look at this amazing grace that we sang about that Peter experiences that, that should be at the heart of us. Okay, so John chapter 15 says this. It starts this way. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. There's a charcoal fire, and then Jesus comes to Peter, and he asks him a question. Peter, do you love me? And he asked that question how many times? Three. And why does he ask that question three times? Because Peter had denied Jesus three times. Charcoal fire, denial, denial, denial. Charcoal fire, grace, grace, grace. Last week we saw that Jesus has amazing grace for Thomas, this doubter. And here in this passage, we see that God 
has amazing grace for even deniers. Even those who sell out, even those who forget Jesus, even those who proactively say, no, I don't know the guy. That is amazing grace. Any of you ever felt like you've blown it? Like you've totally messed up? Ever felt like you need to hang your head in shame? Don't want to show back up? Don't want to see those people again? Like you've not only failed your own standards, but you've failed the standards of other people? Ever just felt like you just want to hang your head and just crawl in a hole? Like you're done, you're spent? Well, there's good news. Because at the bottom, at the foundation of Christianity is grace. Jesus forgives Peter. And not only does he forgive him, but he even utilizes him in this prominent position in the church. That he's going to be one of the main proclaimers. This guy that totally blew it. Ashamed. Hadn't followed through. Thought he was stronger than he was. And Jesus shows up to him and gives him breakfast and reinstates him. Now, if I'm Jesus and Peter swims over to me, I'm not even giving the guy breakfast. I'm saying, go on up to your room and spend some time thinking about this. Right? I'm not ready to talk to you. But the Son of God receives this sinner and not only forgives him, but reinstates him. If you remember um, Peter's, Peter's words, I mean, not only did he deny Jesus, but he had, he had said, Jesus, if everybody else runs away from you, I won't. Um, P- Peter's just kind of this, this is his temperament, right? Brash, says what he's thinking, uh, not real calculated, kind of fire, ready aim, right? Mark chapter 14, you might want to flip with me there. Mark chapter 14, we read this on Friday morning in our men's Bible study. Beginning in verse 27, Mark 14, Jesus said to them, this is at the Lord's Supper, the Passover meal, that Thursday night. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Verse 29, Peter said to them, even though they all fall away, I will not. Famous last words, right? Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. At the root of Peter's sin here is a couple things is first of all pride right no jesus i'm 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 better than all of these and then and then jesus comes at this reinstatement and says peter do you really love me more than these do you really think you're stronger really think you're better than these guys 
And in his gracious rebuke, Jesus shows Peter that at the height of his sin is the essence of pride, of thinking that we're more than we are. Not only is is Jesus kind of surgically going after Peter's heart here by pointing out his pride, which Peter was probably already somewhat aware of, but Jesus is also surgically going after here the heart of the matter. Because notice he doesn't say three times, Peter, did you deny me? But he, he gets to the heart of the matter by saying, Peter, do you love me? Because at, at, at base, okay, at root, all sin is a failure to love God totally, fully, and ultimately, right? I mean, when you get to the heart of it, all sin is basically loving something else other than we love God, right? And so Peter, whether it was comfort, whether it was just fear, whatever, something in those moments, he was loving himself, his comfort, his pride, more than he was loving God. Martin Luther said it like this. Martin Luther said, we never break any of the other ten commandments without first breaking the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You never break any of the other commandments without first breaking the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. So when I want to lie, when I lie, it's because there's something that's more important to me than God in that moment, right? Maybe it's my reputation. Maybe it's an outcome I want. When I covet or when I lust, at base, it's not just an issue of, of lust and coveting, but it's also a, an issue of competing loves. If I really loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, then I wouldn't want these other things. I'd be satisfied and I'd be content with following God, but it's because I love these other things, these competing loves that I choose lust or I choose coveting. And Jesus is surgically going after Peter's heart here and saying, what is your ultimate love? And he's doing the same thing to you and me. What is it that you're truly in love with, that you're truly following? Is it a status? Is it a career placement? Is it, is it money that will drive you to love God less, but love something else more ultimately. Because ultimately, the greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And what does love for God result in? It, res- it, it results in love for others. So he says three times, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. And so the responsibility that Jesus gives Peter is not just to follow him. He's going to say that twice in John 21. But to care and tend for other followers. Feed 
my sheep, tend my lambs, follow me and love my sheep. And so Jesus goes on here in verse 18. Not only does he surgically look at Peter's heart, but he goes on and he tells him the cost that this amazing grace will eventually have for Peter's own self. Verse 18, Jesus goes on and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then John tells us in verse 19 what Jesus means here in code. Verse 19, then he, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. You remember Peter is the one that had told Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 as Jesus began talking about I'm going to the son of man must go and suffer. Peter again brazen and brash, what does he say? He says, "No. You will not suffer. You must not suffer." And Jesus says to Peter, gives him a nickname, nickname called Satan. <laughs> and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You don't, have anything, you don't have in mind the things of God, you have the things of man. Because you think that this deal ought to result in comfort, and I'm telling you that I'm going to a cross. And here, he's telling Peter that as you follow me, guess what? the end of your days, you're going to be carried to death. You also will die. And tradition says that, that Peter was crucified. And there's some tradition that says that because he didn't want to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was, Peter requested to be crucified upside down. And that's what Jesus is foretelling here in verses 18 and 19. And then he says, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. There's grace, I forgive you. Oh, by the way, it's going to cost you your life. Peter, follow me. And look at what happens in the very next verse, verse 20. Follow me. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them and the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that, Lord, who is, it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? You see what's happening here? Jesus has just told Peter, you're going to suffer. Jesus has just told Peter, hey, follow me. And what does Peter do right after that? Instead of his gaze being on Jesus, verse 20, verse 20 says, Peter turned and saw John. He actually looked behind him. And he says in wonderful human intuition, but Jesus, what about him? Is he going to have to die too? Is he going to go to a cross too? And here's, here, folks, is a lesson. The number one, maybe the number one, the number one grace killer is comparison. One of the things that just messes us up in following Jesus 
is looking over our shoulder at someone else or looking to our side and seeing someone else. And that's what Peter is doing here. Someone on your phone is ringing. Uh, <laughs> Jesus says, follow me. And Peter looks to the side, looks to the side and, saw, and sees John, right? Peter's done this in the past. Remember uh, a time in the Gospels where Peter is out walking on the water? Jesus is walking on water, and Peter, again, brazen, goes out and is going to walk to Jesus. And what, where does Peter's eyes go then? It be, he begins to look at the waves and the wind, right? And then he sinks. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, suffering is coming. Peter says, looks at the cross and says, no, not that. And here again, Peter just been told, follow me, and his eyes move off of Jesus to John. Comparison. Antithetical to the opposite of grace. Jesus, why, why do I have these circumstances? Why do I have these challenges? It seems like... Uh, so-and-so, they don't have the marriage issues we have. They don't have the financial constraints that we do. And when we look over our shoulder, when we look to the side and we're not zeroed in on Jesus, comparison kills grace, doesn't it? Jesus says, Peter, I want you to follow me. Don't worry about John. Don't worry about him. Verse, sorry, my glasses are not sufficient here this morning. Verse 22, if it, is, if it is my will that he should remain until I come, what is that to you? But you follow me. You follow me. Don't worry yourself with what, with what other Christians are doing with what God's called them to do, you follow me. You keep your eyes on me. Back a long time ago when uh, my cousin was first dating her uh, college boyfriend at the time, whom I had not met, my, but my parents had spent some time with my cousin and my aunt and uncle, and so they had met Trisha's boyfriend, Kevin. And my parents kept telling me, Ross, you really got to meet Kevin. You'd love Kevin because he's in seminary also, and he's always reading these big tomes of history and theology, and you guys would have a lot in common. He's going to be, he wants to go into ministry too, and he's really smart, and you guys would have some great conversations. Not that you're as smart as him, but, you know, my parents comparing me. To, no, just kidding. Uh, but you would really like, well, Kevin has gone on, and not only is Kevin a couple years younger than me, but he's a pastor, and not only is he a pastor, but he's now a seminary professor, and Kevin, two years younger than me, has written like 10 books, some of them that I've given to you. Now, Lord, what the heck? That ticks me off. Had another friend in seminary, um, where I was going to seminary, good friend. We lived together, started at the same time. His, I'll call him Clay, uh, because that's his name, Clay. Um, started seminary together. He was just trying to blaze through it, and he did my four-year program in like two and a half years. 
um, really smart, bright guy. Everybody loved him. And, uh, but I held his dadgum hand through seminary. And I, I, I you know, he, he, he needed me, right? And uh, I remember one particular time he got all these speaking gigs. And he was speaking this one time at SMU for this student uh, campus group, and I went to watch him, and I remember sitting in the back row, and Clay sitting on the front row, and he's getting ready to go up there and speak, and he is texting me from the front row saying, hey, remember that verse we talked about the other day, and it was something about blah, 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 you know, what, where was that? And I'm like, dude, you're getting ready to go up there and speak, and you're asking me the answers to the test or the sermon, and so I text him back, here's the verse, you know, here's A couple years ago, I get this big package at the office and it's like this box you know this big and Lori texts me and says you got this great big package this marketing package from Zondervan and Andy Stanley and I'm like what is this and so I go to the office and I finally get get it and I open it up and it is this big marketing package from Zondervan Publishing and it's a book by Clay and I'm like, this sucker, and he didn't even acknowledge me in the book. <laughs> One of the biggest grace killers is when I take my eyes off Jesus and I look over at somebody else and how God's using them. Instead of, as the author of Hebrews says, fixing my eyes on Jesus. Because by grace, he's given me my path to walk. He's given you your path to walk. And your path is not my path, and my path is not your path. But Jesus says to all of us, to all of us, follow me. And he says to Peter, what is that to you? Whatever I want to do with John is what I will do with John. But you follow me. And let me tell you why that's good news. That's good news because Jesus uses broken, messed up, ashamed, failure kind of people like you and me. But all we got to do is look at Jesus. Amen. Chuck Swindoll, maybe you've heard of him, has a little church down the street. Chuck Swindoll says this, grace, grace means God uses nobodies. Grace also means that he makes nobodies into somebodies. The problem is this, our shame screams so loudly and our guilt is so huge, we convince ourselves we're not useful and we think we cannot measure up. But the fact is he does great things through nobodies. He does some of his best work with those who think they're finished and, humanly speaking, should be. Do you need grace this morning? Have you blown it? Do you feel like God can't use you? Well, there is good news. Jesus graced Peter, and he graces all other nobodies like you and me. 
graces us and sends us to minister to others, even in our brokenness, even with the track record that we have. Folks, there's no sin in your past that God's grace is not greater. Some of you know that hymn. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. And if Jesus would forgive a denier like Peter, he will forgive anything that you or I have done in this room. And he will set us back upon rock and send us out and say, follow me. Thank God for grace. And folks, that's the foundation of this whole deal. It's not just a message It's not just a sermon. It's the foundation of this whole deal. From Genesis to Revelation, it's grace. In fact, the last words of the Bible, I looked it up this week. The last words of the Bible go like this. Revelation 22, verse 21. Here, the last words of the scriptures. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Pray with me. Father God, I don't think that I'm the only one in this room that struggles with past failures, that wonders if he measures up, that wonders if he's gone too far or not gone far enough. God, we come to you this morning and we just fall on our knees, thankful for your grace. Grace like you lavished on Peter that you lavish on us. Oh God, would you make us grateful people because of your grace? And would you help us to keep our eyes not on someone behind us, someone to our side, someone in the section over from us or down the row, Would you help us, Jesus, to keep our eyes fixed on you and follow you by your grace and the power of grace? It's for your beautiful name we pray.